Good morning, Grace Point. It is so good to see you today, especially if you're joining us for the very first time, wherever you are in the world. Uh, welcome. We are thrilled that you're here, and we hope that you um, found this gathering today meaningful. Today is the final Sunday of Advent, which means that Christians all over the world today are going to be centering in on the theme of love. And I think talking about love is becoming more and more of a challenge. Um, and I think it's partly because of um, sort of what we've done with the word and the concept. The philosopher Dallas Willard said that familiarity breeds unfamiliarity, right? Like you can be so close to something, you can know something so well, be so familiar, that in some ways you cease to know it, that you cease to see how it's growing and changing, that you cease. I mean, it happens with, with kids all the time. It's when, you're, when I'm with my kids every single day. I don't really notice them growing as much, but when I, you know, go out, go somewhere for an evening, back back when you used to do those kind of things, and I would come back and I was like, oh my gosh, they're doing so much more. They're saying so much more. They've grown like a foot overnight, right? It's that sort of, you're so familiar that it makes you unfamiliar. And I think we've become so familiar with the word love, with the idea behind it, that it's it's been used in such a variety of contexts that it's sort of lost some of its it's oomph. It's lost some of its gravitas. And here's what I mean. We talk about loving people, like our family or our friends. And we also talk about loving food, right? Like, like guacamole. And then we talk about loving things like movies and certain experiences and sports. And we use the word love. And at some point, what, what are we actually trying to say? We like them. We value them. Right? The word love, essentially, in all of that process, and I do it all the time, but in this process, love loses some of its meaning. It loses some of its significance. Maybe we could say that the word doesn't carry the weight, maybe that it it once did, or maybe that it even should. And the reality that's being described when we talk about love, the thing we're pointing to is so full of significance and meaning that our spiritual ancestors could only talk about it in ways like this. Notice this from 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. We have known and have believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who remain in love remain in God, and God remains in them. Now, this is not going to be the point of the sermon, but I think it's important to notice this. The writer doesn't say we have known and believed in the love that God has for us. Right? He doesn't say we believe in it. He says we have known and have believed the love God has for us. And here's sort of the difference. You can believe in a lot of things, but believing in things doesn't necessarily change how you live your life in the world. Right? We can believe in a certain kind of diet being better for us, being better for our hearts, being better for our blood pressure, being uh, preaching to, to the, what is the opposite of the choir here? We can believe in those things. And yet often believing in them doesn't really change much for us. We still go and do whatever it was we're going to do before. The, this idea of believe, we believe the love. If we were to substitute a word, and it's actually what the word really means in the original language, if we were to substitute the word trust, we have known and we trust the love God has for us. That's a whole different, whole different experience. When you trust that you are the beloved, when you trust that God is love and that you exist within this God that is love, that creates a whole different situation, a whole different ballgame. So what does it mean to remain in love? If, if we want to get back to sort of the core, the impetus, the, the, the action that love is calling us to in the world. What would that look like? And so what do we do if we want love to become something more than just a sentiment or more just a, a word that can be substituted with I really like or I really think I enjoy that. I think that's great. 
Like, like how can we begin to think about love? And I, I want to suggest a couple of ways. First, I want to talk about love as an ethic, or maybe we can say an ethos. Um, when we talk about an ethic or ethos, what we're talking about are the values that determine how we live, move, and exist in the world. We may even be able to substitute other words. We might talk about it like a lens, right? Like right now I have contact lenses in, and sometimes when I get ready to go to bed later, I'm going to take these out, I'm going to put on glasses. And what those lenses do, whether they're on my eyes or in front of my eyes, what those lenses do is they shape how I see the world. Um, what if we were to think about love as the lens through which we see the world? And another uh, great metaphor may be to see love as the filter, right? So whether it's on your pool or whether it's in your coffee pot, what does a filter do? A filter stops certain things from going through, um, things that aren't helpful to whatever the finished product. Like you don't want a bunch of grounds in the bottom of your coffee, for example. What if we allow love to be that filter that everything goes through? And, and then what, what love does is it filters out what doesn't really ultimately become the most loving, most life-affirming, most human-affirming, most good that can happen in the world. And, and you know what's interesting is we can discern the ethos or the, the filter, the lens, the ethic of a particular group of people, even when it's not explicitly stated. Because what happens is it begins to just sort of ooze out. Like it's un, it, you can't contain it. How you see the world, how you choose to engage the world, it comes out in your interactions. So, for example, when you adopt an ethic, and I think this can happen intentionally or unintentionally, but when you have a lens that values, for example, profits over people, or if you have a lens that sees us as being inherently better and more important than whatever them you're talking about, that has a dramatic impact on how we show up in the world. The same thing is true of love. It has a dramatic and when love becomes that vision, when love becomes the ethic, when love becomes the filter, it has a dramatic effect on what is coming out of us and going into the world. This idea of love as an ethos is found throughout scriptures. Um, when Jesus was asked, uh, there are 613 commands in the Hebrew scriptures, in the Jewish law. And Jesus is asked at one point, what is the greatest command? It, out of the pool of 613, is there one that you can point to and say, this is the most important one? And here's how Jesus responds in Matthew 22. You must love, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. The second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and prophets depend on these two commands. Jesus, who was born, lived, and died a faithful Jew, boils down the greatest commandment to two texts within the scriptures. First is in Deuteronomy 6.5. It's called the Shema, which in Hebrew, Shema is the word here. And it's how it begins. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, all your mind. So he's pointing that. And then in Leviticus 19.18, this idea, love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes on to claim that, uh, and in Jesus' day, there were, there were essentially two sacred canonized sections of the Hebrew Bible. It would be the law and the prophets. And Jesus essentially says, everything in the law and the prophets, everything we're being invited to do and be, is summed up in these commands. And I think the prophets would say, actually, they would argue that to love your neighbor, actually what that means is you're actually pursuing justice. So if you love your neighbor in the form of pursuing justice, the prophets would say, you are actually loving God. That to pursue justice for fellow human beings is the ultimate expression of a love for God. Right? And Jesus even touches on this later in Matthew when he says that when you showed up for the poor, for the hungry, for the thirsty, for the, those in prison, for the sick, when you show up for them in some powerful 
powerful way, you are showing up for me. Like ultimately, that's what he's, he's agreeing with the prophets, that, that love in the form of justice for, the, for your neighbor, even your enemy, is what love for God looks like. So one final thought about this idea of, an, of a lens or an ethos of love. Since, an, since a, a lens or an ethic can exist intentionally or unintentionally, right? We can either be really, really um, intentional about how we form those lenses. We can, we can make sure that we're continually honing it and crafting it in such a way that so that we're moving toward more and more love. Or we can just be moving through the world unintentionally, right? But what we have to do, we have to, we have to work on these things both as an individual and as a community. Right. As we as we think about how this can happen, what we can just adopt an unintentional ethos. It can just shape everything, and it can be full of all sorts of things. Right. It can be full of all sorts of implicit biases. It can be filled with all sorts of dehumanization. And so, if we want love to be our ethos, our ethic, our lens, our filter, then we have to actually be intentional about engaging in ways, about engaging in things that that shape us in the path of love, right? And I think the way we do that is by ensuring that love isn't just a theory or a platitude or some sort of sentiment, but that love is actually embodied in everyday practice. So we talk about love as an ethic, as an ethos, as a lens, as a filter, but I also want to talk about love as a practice because love cannot be contained in words or sentiment or theory alone. Like it just doesn't work, Right? Love cannot be, love can't just be boiled down to, well, this is a, a physical, physiological reaction. Your brain's doing, no, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this thing that is undergirding and guiding our interactions with the world, our interactions with each other. And we're not talking about a theory. We're not talking about just a word or a sentiment. Love must always be wrapped in flesh and a flesh and blood presence in the world. I think this is partly what the first Christians were talking about when they talked about incarnation. Literally, that word incarnation means to the in flesh, right? Um, that, that in Jesus, that's how Christians talk about Jesus. That in Jesus, that he somehow is God enfleshed in humanity, God being uh, united with the human. Here's a paraphrase of John chapter one, the gospel of John chapter one that describes the idea. Um, and, and just to tell you on the front end, we're going to see a word here. And the word here is word. <laughs> and word here is a, a translation of a, a, the word logos, which is a Greek word that is from philosophy that really um, literally means, um, it can be understood as logic of reason, creative ordering, sustaining reality of the universe. It can, it can come off any of those ways. So the writer of, this John, of John uses this term, and I think if you hear word, think about it like this, the creative energy and wisdom that started and sustains everything. When we talk about word here, we're talking about that creative energy. John 1.14, the word, the creative energy and wisdom that started and sustains the universe became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that, isn't that great? The writer of John insists that the creative energy and wisdom that started and sustains everything was experienced in a human life. Uh, John Shelby Spong, one of my favorite writers, refers to this text as a new understanding of God. And he writes, The imminence of God, the permeating presence of God, infiltrated and finally challenged the primary definition of God as an external being. And isn't that how so many of us were brought into the world religiously to think about God. God is a distant, detached being somewhere else, external to us. And if we could just go up high enough or far enough or peel back the dimensional curtain, whatever that looks like, what we'd find is we would find God. That's actually 
not what John is saying. John is saying that that thing that we thought was outside and out there and up there actually isn't. And that whatever that reality is, is here. And it's not only here, but it can be experienced in the human. John's gospel is saying, stop looking out there. God isn't out there. God is right here. And, and, and not just in Jesus. Jesus' work, I think, in part, was trying to make us aware that we are all deeply immersed in the divine. That in the same way God was present in Jesus, God is present to and in and through us. Jesus invites us to wake up to the reality that we too are called to be Emmanuel, God with one another. Love then is about an incarnational practice. It's about embodiment. It's not about just saying all the right words. It's not about um, making all the right Facebook posts and all the right tweets and all the right Instagram uh, and whatever, TikTok, whatever else is out there. Love isn't about just saying good things. Love is about embodiment. And this looks like all kinds of things. It looks like works of compassion. It's people showing up for one another and being present. It's working for justice in all the various ways we desperately need justice and equity in this world. But the common thread in all of the possible creative ways that we might practice love is that it's not a theory. It's not a doctrine to be believed in. It's about a sleeves rolled up, hands ready to get dirty practice. It will lead us into and not away from the messiness of the world. And so many of us have discovered this over time that when you let love be the lens, when love becomes the filter, when love becomes, when you really seek to let love become the guiding force, it doesn't lead you away from the messiness. It leads you right into the middle of it. We see that in our lives. We see that in the life of Jesus. That, that love will often draw us not away from, but into the messiness of the world. And that's what keeps love from being just a cliche or a sentiment. That's what makes love credible. Because for so many people, when they hear the word love, they just think about people posting some really cool things on the internet. But what we often don't make the connection to is love. What makes love credible is when love shows up. And, And not just in the form of a theory or a doctrine, but when love shows up as a flesh and blood embodiment, as a God with us, Emmanuel experience. That's how love and that's how Christmas can actually change the world. I I, I don't know about you. I, I cannot believe that this is the final Sunday of Advent. It seems like this has been such a a strange year. In in some ways, it feels like this year has flown by, like we're already at the end of it. And then in some ways, it seems like, oh my gosh, hasn't this lasted 10 years? For for us, for me, Advent seems like it's gone by pretty, pretty fast. But the reality is we've only just begun. We're here, but Christmas is coming. Thursday evening on Christmas Eve, we will light the final candle, the Christ candle of the Advent wreath. We will celebrate the birth of Jesus. And I think it's important to remember that Christmas is all about giving birth to something new. It's about something full of possibility. And when we begin to embrace love, yes, as an ethic, as an ethos, as a lens, as a filter, as something through which we see the world, and not just the people we like in the world, but we see the whole world. Love becomes the lens through which I see my neighbor, through which I see this person here who's hurting and lonely, through which I see this person here who is sick and needs help, through which I see this person here who is hungry and needs food. Yes, love is the lens through which I see all of them. But love also is the lens through which I see my enemy. 
Now that's the tricky part. That's the part I struggle with. That's the part that, that I just go round and round because it is almost the absolute opposite of my impulse to feel toward people who have hurt me, wounded me, gossiped about me, said things about me on the internet. Like the, the impulse to love our enemy, it, it, it takes some work. But what if, when, what if love becomes our lens, our filter, our ethic? And yes, we begin to see all the, the hurt and all the needs and all the neighbors in the world and even the enemies we have in the world. We can begin to see them through that lens. And then we allow that to bring us into the world to practice, to embody, to become, to be walking Emmanuel's experience so people can experience God with them in whatever moment they're experiencing. I mean, this is how the the first Christians talked about it. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 actually says this bold claim, you are the body of Christ. You are. Um, St. Therese would go on to say, Christ has no body but ours. We are the physical flesh and blood incarnation of Christ in the world. And when we show up for people, Emmanuel shows up for people. And when we extend compassion and kindness, when we step out and courage and, and, and uh, serve, when we step out and say, nobody has to be alone, nobody has to be like when we actually begin to do the work of love in the world, it can change everything. Some of us who are watching this right now know this firsthand. We, we know what it feels like for somebody to reach out to us in love. And not just as a theory, but as a real concrete practice. A practice that drew them not away from our messiness, but right in the middle of it. So may we follow that impulse. May we follow love. May we see the world through love. May we meet the world in love. And may it lead us to go into all the messiness and all the complicatedness in all of the so many various ways that things can get really, really complicated really, really fast. May we allow love to call us into those moments. And may we know that as we go into those moments, we are not, we are not just hands and feet. We are the body of Christ in the world to that moment, to that situation, to those people. And as we show up, Emmanuel, God with us is present in